Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Good morning. We're very glad that you've joined us this morning. We have an absolutely fascinating and essential show for you today. We're going to be talking with Alex Berenson, who has written an amazing book, which I have read and found to be really incredibly dense in terms of evidence and important information that you need to know about marijuana, especially the link between teenage marijuana use and mental illness, which is something we are not hearing in the media at at this point in time. We're hearing that marijuana is pretty mild and doesn't matter, and it's more like alcohol and a, a rite of passage. But we're going to talk to Alex and about his deep research about the links and what you should be aware of and what you need to know. By no means is this a prohibition show and, and chastising, but it will give you information on the science behind marijuana, cannabis, and what use could mean. And I am so happy to welcome Alex Berenson. Welcome to our show. Linda, thank you so much for having me on. You know, it's such a pleasure because I think that we are all being lulled into a false sense of complacency. Uh, Here in Maryland, the legislature is is looking at, you know, legalizing marijuana beyond recreational use and and medical use. And I, I think many states are. It's now legal, I think, in nine states, could be more by now. And we're hearing how harmless this is. It's no different than alcohol, and it should be legalized, etc. But you have found, through all of your research, some really disturbing things that that parents and adults need to know. And I would love it if we could just be very candid today about why you wrote this book, how it started out, and then what you have found, especially things that parents should tell your children, which is the name of the book, Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence. So let's start with uh, um, that. Sure. So uh, so let me quickly tell you, the, the reason I wrote the book really is that my wife is a forensic psychiatrist, meaning that she deals with the criminally mentally ill, mm-hmm. and um, she uh, was telling me, uh, you know, uh, about many of the cases that she'd seen, uh, you know, in her work where, uh, you know, people became mentally ill after smoking for long periods of time, uh, smoking marijuana, or in some cases became violent after using, uh, cannabis. And, you know, in some cases they, they hurt family members, uh, they, they hurt strangers. They, you know, they, they committed terrible crimes in some cases under the influence. And, um, you know, like a lot of people, I think, uh, I didn't think marijuana was particularly dangerous or particularly likely to cause mental illness. I, I thought, well, this is all reefer madness. And, um, <laughs> literally, uh, literally, uh, you know, the, the, you know, and that, I, I, that's what we've all been told for a really long time. Um, and so it can So my wife said to me, well, you know, you really should look at the studies. I think she got tired of me, you know, mansplaining to her. 
And so when I when I did finally, and I used to be an investigative reporter for the New York Times, and I used to cover the drug industry. So I'm not a doctor, but I do know a little bit about how to read these, you know, these papers and to judge whether or not they're strong or not for myself. And so when I read, when I started reading about this, I was shocked to discover how right she was and just how strong the evidence that marijuana causes mental illness and that mental illness can cause violence really is. And I mean, it is stunning to me the way this this drug is portrayed in the media. I mean, including in very, you know, serious places like the Washington Post or the New York Times versus what the scientific reality of this is. And, you know, I think there's been a handful of people out there who've been talking about this for a little while, but they've basically been completely drowned out. Um, and so, you know the cannabis uh, you know, lobby is huge. It's huge, and it has it has the it has elite power. media on its side. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 not just that these people, you know, some and there's a, there's the nonprofit lobby that just wants, you know, they just want to sort of legalize drugs, including mm-hmm. cannabis, and some some of those people actually want to legalize or, uh, you know, or not discourage the use of even harder drugs, but mm-hmm. but. Then there's the for-profit lobby. There's the people who you know stand to make money by opening dispensaries or opening uh, cannabis farms, and you know these people all think they're going to be billionaires, which is a whole, which is a whole another fantasy we don't have to talk about. But then there's the media, and the media has really jumped on this as a social justice issue, where oh, right. you know, there's the people, people are being, there's tons of people in jail for uh, for marijuana, and you know most of those people Harmless are black victim, or Hispanic. Was it victimless crimes. Yeah, it's a victimless crime and that, that, that so many people are in jail for. And guess what? Almost no one is in prison for marijuana possession. And when I say no one, I mean no one. I don't mean there's 50,000 people. I mean there's there's literally almost no one in jail for marijuana possession or use, even trafficking. And by trafficking, I mean moving hundreds of pounds of marijuana that might have a street value of millions of dollars. Um, wow. is less likely to get you in. You're unlikely to go to jail for more than a couple of years at most if, if you're because arrested for that. Because it's seen as harmless is my guess. Well, and because the police, you know, they're sort of beaten down by this and they have the opioid epidemic to worry about. They have cocaine and methamphetamine to worry about. So, fentanyl. So, so, and fentanyl, yes, drug, you know, which are, and I understand that. Like fentanyl kills a lot of people. And if you're, you know, if you're a police officer or if you're a mother, you're very concerned about opioids. And I get that. But what's what's sort of happened is that marijuana has kind of traveled in the shadows and marijuana use and is has grown dramatically uh, uh certainly among a small group of heavy users in the last few years. And so and so this is actually dangerous and it's very dangerous for teens. It's most dangerous for teens because the teen brain is developing rapidly. And, uh, you know, really undergoing massive neurological changes, mm-hmm. you know, sort of 12 through 18, 12 through 20 or 21. And marijuana, it appears, can interfere with some of those changes in ways that are really dangerous. So, you know, one of the things, and I live in, I live in New York State. I don't live in New York City anymore, but I live in New York State. And, you know, in certain parts of New York City, parents almost seem to be actively encouraging their children to use marijuana instead of alcohol. Alcohol. And that is a crazy, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not that alcohol is not dangerous, okay, but, but that is a crazy decision to make considering how dangerous marijuana can be to the teenage brain. But this is why we're on the show talking about this to, to moms and to grandmoms, because I think that, again, we've been lulled by the media, which... 
has such a powerful mob sway these days because the messaging narrative is so unified. And so if they have a narrative they want to put across, that's what you get. I'm just curious, and you may not know the answer to this, but what is the percentage of teenage users of marijuana? They can tell you alcohol, but do we know so, marijuana use? So, so yes, and uh, we do, I mean, based on sort of a big national survey. And the only uh, – good thing uh, that seems that's happened about marijuana use in the last few years is that teen use hasn't actually gone up that much. Young adult okay. use, when kids go to college or they leave home, uh, you know, post-18, um, has gone way up. But 12 to 17-year-old use uh, doesn't seem to have gone up uh, that much since about 2005, which is a really good thing. But even that may have changed in the last two years because a lot of the moms who are listening to this are likely to have noticed that their kids might be talking about vaping uh, or yes. juuling, which so these are you know these what are is juul is the juul is the juul is the device. So it's it's the oh. same as vaping basically, but you but but kids call it juuling. So this is inhaling uh, nicotine that's been aerosolized, and okay. so it's a way to basically smoke without smoking cigarettes. And 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 juul has taken off in the last. Couple oh, of years for, now that you, know, you for, mentioned this, it's a device, isn't it? It's a device. That's right. It okay. looks a little bit like a flash drive. Right. Right. Um, it's very small. It's sort of cool looking. And in 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 upper middle class and middle class high schools, this thing has taken off. And once kids start jeweling, even though the jewel is not actively designed to to be, allow you to use THC, which is the chemical in marijuana that people use to get high, you can easily figure out how to use a jewel uh, to vape THC. So, 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 nicot so, jeweling and nicotine inhalation is to cigarettes as THC inhalation is to is to joints. It's a way to get the active substance without having to smoke or or reveal that you're smoking. If that makes sense. We have a little less than two minutes, minute and a half. I would like you to explain the difference between the cannabis of old and the cannabis of today. Uh, basically, the cannabis of today is far stronger. Uh, it's it's got much more THC in it. Again, THC is that active chemical that kids mm -hmm. are using, uh, or that that anybody uses to to get high. Um, and so, in the sixties, seventies, eighties. Marijuana might be one to three percent THC. Now it's twenty to thirty percent THC, and there are some there 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 there's a way to smoke essentially pure THC, which has been extracted from a plant. That's called using wax or shatter. Vaping, it's the same thing. Vaping, you're using a liquid THC extract that you're smoking. So you're so so this is the equivalent of. I mean, I say. I say martinis versus near beer, but it's more like grain alcohol when you're talking about these pure THC products. Mm. So it, this is a totally different substance used in a different way. And there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who get addicted to this very rapidly. You know, it, it's just not the pictures of Woodstock and swaying happy people <laughs> with a cloud of smoke over them. It No, it really isn't. And it's I really yet not. you're looking at generations that thought that, knew that, um, discussed it, um, maybe didn't use themselves, but knew, we, we all knew people who did. Sure, and sure. And I, I think it, in those days, you felt that it was, you know, no biggie, made you hungry, but it really <laughs> wasn't, 
well, I'm a girl, so I, this is one of the big reasons I never tried it was because I don't need the munchies. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> it's not too vain for that. But I, I laugh because I think we are very unaware of – well, maybe we're not unaware, but we are not heeding the difference between the strength of this intoxicant that from its early days. So we need to go on our first break and we will be back talking with Alex about more information that he found in researching his book, Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness and Violence. We'll be right back. We're Wise Health for Women Radio and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Harvard Medical School indicates that the most effective method for losing weight is to cut back on your consumption of calories while bumping up your activity level. They use the example of eating a candy bar, which takes a mere minute or two. But most people would have to walk for over 40 minutes to burn those calories. Remember that 3,500 calories equals one pound of fat. Reducing your daily calorie intake by 500 calories and working out is a sure way to drop weight and increase health benefits. They state that you will shed approximately one pound of fat for every 35 miles you walk, assuming that your food intake and activity stay the same. That is encouraging news and very doable. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Halloween is almost here, and the Scarecrows, or Tatty Dooleys as the Scottish call them, are out. But Halloween is all about trick-or-treating, and that means candy. The average American eats 24 pounds of candy a year, and most of that consumption occurs around Halloween. What do you call a person who loves to eat? A grand gosier. Popular costumes for this year are happy face and wink face emojis. Of course, since it's a presidential election year, there are various costume choices for those who wish to dress up as Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton or Republican candidate Donald Trump. If you ask me, the only thing scarier than Halloween this year is the presidential election. What's another word for the fear of Halloween? Sam Hainophobia. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back. We were talking on the break, Alex and I, about the the seemingly harmless use of marijuana. And one of the things that you know actually really surprised me when Alex and I spoke prior to these broadcasts is that some people think, okay, well, you just mentioned vaping and inhalation and all of that, which yeah. provides a real immediate hit. Okay, good. Um, I think many people know cigarette smoking is bad. They may even think that vaping of any substance is bad for their lungs. Sure. So as a nice quote, and this is in air quotes right now, healthy alternative, they turn to these innocuous edibles. So chocolates or gummies or I don't even know what else it comes in. Forgive my ignorance. But sure. 
edibles have an entirely different effect on the body. And could you explain what, how, how it's metabolized, why it's a, something to be concerned about, and why it's really not as innocuous as it seems? Sure. So edibles, uh, yes, you have this THC liquid that's, uh, or, or, you know, sometimes called butter, a can of butter that's baked into, uh, you know, it can be put in Rice Krispie trees, it can be put in brownies, uh, it can be in gummy bears. It's a lot of, you know, sweet stuff to sort of hide the taste, which is, uh, mm-hmm. which isn't a great taste of, of liquid THC or, uh, or THC butter. And so, uh, so what, 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 when you, when you eat an edible, a couple of different things happen to you versus when you're smoking or, or vaping. So when you're vaping, it gets into your lungs very quickly and you, mm-hmm. you start to feel the effects pretty quickly. And that's actually a good thing because it means mm-hmm. what you can do what doctors call titrating. So you're, right. you know, you, you get a little bit high and you decide, okay, I want some more. And then you get to the place you want or you think you want and you stop. You know, it's, you're it's in your the same limits. thing with alcohol. Yeah, what's that? You learn your limits. You learn your limits, exactly. Yes, I mean, it's the same thing with alcohol. Some people, you know, you have one drink, you you want a second drink, and then you don't want to, exactly, and then you decide, you know what, I've had enough, I'm not having it more. Mm -hmm. With edibles, it's very different. So you take this edible, it goes into your stomach, it takes a while to get digested, and uh, and then it goes through your liver, and in your liver, it's converted to a different form of THC. Again, THC is a psychoactive chemical in, mm-hmm. in cannabis, which actually is more psychoactive. So, so two things are happening. One is it's taking a while for you to feel the effects. Two, when you feel the effects, they're likely to be very strong. And three, it can last a long time. So the joke about edibles is, so sometimes, and especially if you're a teenager, you know, you're, you're, nothing happens and you think, oh, I should have some more. So... Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you have a second edible, and by, by that point, basically, you're along for the ride. Whatever is going to happen to you over the next 3 to 6 or 12 hours, I mean, and it can be a really long time, uh, there is no way of, of stopping it. Um, because and everybody it, metabolizes differently, I imagine. Everybody metabolizes differently, and this Delta 11 THC, this, this different um, uh, isomer of THC, uh, is very powerful for some people. Mm-hmm. So I've talked to people since the book came out. You know, I've heard from a lot of cannabis users, a lot of parents of cannabis users. And people, even people who are very experienced, sometimes have terrible experiences on edibles. Even people who, you know, smoke a lot of cannabis, when they take edibles, sometimes really bad things happen to them. And I would, I mean, I would strongly discourage any, you know, any teenager from, from using this way. Um, you know, it, it, it seems like, again, oh, it could be safer because you're not smoking, but exactly Healthier, the opposite right. is true. Um, and, you know, just to, just to go back to, you know, you were talking about Woodstock, and, you're, and, and I do think that, you know, most adult Americans don't use cannabis, okay? So Correct. we all, and maybe they did in their 20s or in their, you know, in their teens. And so, so we all draw on our own experiences, um, which is, you know, I went to a concert, I, you know, I, I smoked a little pot, it was fun, nothing much happened. Um, you know, maybe I smoked a few more times in college or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh you know, after college and, and, it, you know, or, uh, you know, I didn't go to college, but I smoked in the mat all a few times. Um, and, and it was not a big deal. This, because cannabis is so much more potent now and because the pattern of use is different now, that is not what kids today are doing. There's a small group of people 
there's about 8 million Americans as of 2017. I mean, it's not that small. 8 million is actually a fairly large group of people. But mm-hmm. So there's 8 million people who are using cannabis every day in 2017. By the way, there's only 12 million people who drink every day in 2017. So there's really? almost as many people, yes, there's almost as many people using cannabis every day as drinking every day. Say those Even numbers again. There's 8 million the, cannabis users a day? Yes, 8 million daily cannabis users. And, and alcohol? Uh, alcohol, 12 million daily drinkers. What's so interesting about that is that there's 180 million adults who drank at least once in 2017. So most Americans have had a drink, and they know what having a drink is like. But only 40 million Americans smoke cannabis once in 2017. So what you have is you've got... You've got a large group of Americans who don't use cannabis now, don't know what it's like. And then you've got this, this hardcore group of people, 8 million people as of 2017, who are using every day. And those are the, those are the, parents, those are the kids and the young adults, the parents. You know, it's like my, my 17-year-old, she was so great. Like, everything was great in her life. And all of a sudden, in the last six months, She's totally dramatically changed, and she doesn't want to come out of her room. Is she using drugs? No, she's just smoking a little pot. And, and, and what you need to uh. think to yourself as a parent is, it's not just smoking a little pot. This is this. If your if your child is using these products and is using them on anything like a daily basis as a teenager, that is a really serious risk and a warning sign. That is, I mean, to me, that you should be as concerned about that as you would be if your child were using cocaine. Like this wow. is a, that pattern of use is a dangerous pattern for a teenager. Um, so and, and tell me the signs. Because then you can intervene. You've got to intervene. Really? So tell me the signs and our listeners of when someone has had too much in terms of the edibles. It has crept up on them, and they end up calling the ER. And then I'll, so, I'll share a story. So you're going to wind up with, with paranoia. You're going to wind up with. Um, you can wind up with, uh, you know, a uh, racing heart. You can wind up, in some cases, you can actually wind up, this is a psychoactive substance that's actually a mild psychedelic for some people. So you can wind up with hallucinations. Um, uh, you can wind up uh, hearing voices. Um, I mean, that is not common, but it can happen with edibles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, what, what, we, what we haven't really talked about that much so far is that in 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 teens especially, heavy cannabis use uh, raises the risk for schizophrenia, which is an right. incredibly severe mental disorder. That is essentially permanent psych- psychosis. So, so if you if you use cannabis or you use any recreational drug and you use too much of it, there's a risk that you will get psychotic. And psychosis is what psychiatrists call a break from reality, right? So mm-hmm. it's the medical term for a break from reality. So that could be I'm getting paranoid, extremely paranoid, where I really think, you know, the cops are out to get me, or I'm hearing voices. I mean, I mean, this is what LSD produces, right? This is what PCP can produce. These, are, these, these drugs are mm-hmm. called psychedelics because they can produce these, these breaks from reality. But what's not well known is that cannabis can do that, too, in, in most of the time, most of the time, most people who use and have a psychotic break are going to recover pretty fast. So mm-hmm. even if your kid winds up in the ER, even if they have to, you know, essentially put them in a, in a room and, and, you know, in a quiet room for a night, they're going to come out and they're going to be pretty much okay within a few days. But some Will they people, liken it, though, to the use of marijuana? 
Yes. Because so they, they could also be drinking. They could also be this. They could also be that. Sure. I think sure. And if you, the if you're, if you're using, we're hearing, if, they may not associate the two things. That's that's right. And the, and the parents, uh, that's right. Especially if there's other drug use going on, parents may not connect this to marijuana. But the fact is that marijuana is more likely to cause psychosis, much, much more likely than alcohol. Um, it's even, you know, methamphetamine, uh, you know, really serious stimulants, they can cause psychosis in part because if people don't sleep for a week, you're almost inevitably going to get psychotic. But well, marijuana yes. alone... Yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> don't we but, know that mar- just from not but, sleeping sometimes? Um, right. One but of the things that I, I found fascinating psychosis. is that um, when I read the book and I, I read what you just said, that psychosis, cannabis induced psychosis can occur and it also raises the risk of schizophrenia, which generally manifests or presents itself in early 20s. Otherwise, normal kids. Um, end up with schizophrenia, which is a lifelong, must-be-managed condition. And yes. it's scary. And so I talked to a friend of mine who's a paramedic out in Colorado. And I said, well, how often are you seeing, you know, cannabis-induced, maybe it's edibles, etc., cetera, um, psychosis in the emergency room? And he said, well, we don't, we don't really see much of that. And I said, you don't see people coming in with racing heart and paranoia, maybe mild hallucinations, the symptoms you just gave. And he said, well, yes, if people have had too much in terms of edibles, but you know, by the time they know they're in trouble and they're in the ER, they're already coming down. That, that's really not cannabis induced psychosis. And I said, but it is. And he said, well, you, and, and- well, you, am I wrong? No, no, you're right. And on the diagnosis code, that's what's going to show. You know, a, a paramedic doesn't have to worry about billing or what the, you know, that's what the true. ER doc writes down. So he just sees what he sees. But yes, that's, that's, that would be almost certainly, I don't want to say almost certainly, but it would likely characterize this case of cannabis induced psychosis, which is very common in the United States now. Um, the other thing is that oftentimes you say people, common. that's they, scary. I, I mean, hundreds of times a day, uh, people are showing up, people who are heavy cannabis users are showing up in ERs all over the United States with psychosis, with, with right. symptoms of psychosis. Here's the other thing. I think a lot of cases, you know, go unreported because people don't want to go to the ER. So they'll call yes. a friend and they'll try to manage it themselves, you know, or, you know, or, or, and the next day they laugh it off. Oh, you know, yeah, I did think like, I did think that, you know, you were going to poison me, uh, you know, but, but I didn't really, and now it seems stupid. And and that's fine, except that once in a while those people actually get violent because they get they get right. afraid, and and so they think they're defending themselves. So so I, I think actually, if anything, this is understated because people uh, people don't want to go to the ER. And I actually I had a really interesting conversation on a plane with a woman who had taken an edible and eaten a lot more of it than she, it was much stronger than she realized. And she was an experienced drug user and an experienced cannabis user. And she had a terrible, yes. I have to make you stop because we're going on a hard break right now, but we're going to come back to the lady on the airplane who was an experienced user. And we will talk further about what this really meant. So we will be right back. Stay with us. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's merging. 
was growing up in Wisconsin, no matter how frigid it was outside, my Uncle Bob never seemed to get cold. He would come in from the snow wearing a t-shirt and remark how fresh it was outside. Then again, folks from Wisconsin are a pretty hardy bunch. As America's official dairy state, the cows have been known to give ice cream instead of milk when the temperatures drop. What's a word for a giant snowball that is formed by rolling a smaller one through a field of snow? Hog-a-ma-dog. Megla is an old Scots word meaning to trudge laboriously through the snow. And mufflements is an old Lancashire word for thick, warm, insulating clothes and gloves. Don't forget that you shouldn't try and send text messages if you're standing out in the cold. It can lead to typothermia. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. CNN reported on a study by the National Center for Health Statistics that found that teenage males were the most frequent consumers of sugary drinks, including sodas, sweetened waters, and energy, sports, and fruit beverages. They guzzle about 252 to 273 calories every day from various drinks. The intake of these sugary drinks has multiplied over the last 30 years. When soda pop was first invented, it was an extravagance that most people had every once in a while. But now it's a daily fixture in American life. And whether they are sold in fast food drive-ups, vending machines, convenience stores, or other venues, sugary drinks are easily accessed. Cutting out these drinks is a vital part of healthy living. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook. Welcome back. Alex, before the break, you were mentioning you were talking to a plane passenger on when you were traveling one time, and this was an experienced user, and you can go on with your story. So, so, so this, yeah, this is a woman in her 30s. She lives in New York. Uh, you know, uh, she's a regular drug user, uh, regular cannabis user, and so she took a, a big chunk of an edible, and uh, and she started she started to actually hallucinate. She told me she started to have a feeling that um, her she was wearing a little bit of jewelry that it was burning her hands, uh, burning her wrists, and so and she that she was getting very hot, and she but she didn't want to drink any water. And ultimately, it got bad enough. She called her sister, who also lived in New York, for help. And her sister came over, and her sister found her, um, uh, like, essentially dangling out the window, presumably because she was so hot. Now, she she said she didn't have any intention of jumping or anything like that, but but she was was so out of it that she just felt so hot. Uh, And so, so what was... What was fascinating to me about this is that she said, you know, I didn't really want to tell people about this. You know, I'm supposed to be cool, right? I'm supposed to be like I use drugs and I, and, you know, and, and when I don't, I don't. And if I go to a club and want to, you know, do something and I'll go have a good time. And it's not cool to tell people that you have lost your mind unless you make the story sort of a, a joke. And so I right. think this is actually happening a fair amount that people don't talk about. Uh, and so, you know, I, I so, so, so I think there's like there's there's this sort of undercurrent of of uh, like temporary episodes of cannabis psychosis that we just don't even talk about. But let, let me go, let me pull back from that too, because most people who use are not going to get psychotic. They're not going to get psychotic right. even once. So, mm-hmm. but even people who don't have 
you know, forget psychosis, forget schizophrenia. Marijuana clearly damages motivation. It damages your memory. As a, you know, as, as somebody, as a teacher said to me recently, look, you're not, if you can't remember anything, you can't learn anything that day. And so mm-hmm. the day you go to school high is a wasted day. And there is evidence, and I wouldn't say it's conclusive. It's not like the evidence about psychosis and schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. But there mm-hmm. is evidence that marijuana use actually damages your IQ, that, that, that it may reduce your IQ as an adult. There's strong evidence that, it's, that using as a teenager makes you more likely to be depressed as a young adult and more likely to have suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts. Um, mm-hmm. so, so in all these ways, this drug is psychiatrically damaging. And it, 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 one of the most frustrating things to me that's happened in the last 20 years is that we've told people, both adults and teens, that this is medicine. Mm-hmm. And we're encouraging people with psychiatric conditions like depression and anxiety to use this drug. It, when I was in California last year, just after recreational legalization began there, I saw giant billboards in San Francisco that said, hello, marijuana, goodbye, anxiety. That is, oh, my goodness. That is, that is such a, a causal terrible connection? message to send. Yes. Now, they, 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 is that so allowed? They, uh, I believe that the company that was doing that backed off those billboards. But here's what we should be saying about this drug. For teen, first of all, we should be telling teens, don't use it. Okay, don't use it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to use it, uh, try. If you, if you think it's something you might want to do, try to delay your use. Try to delay into your 20s when your brain is a little bit more fully formed. Mm-hmm. And if you if you are going to use it, don't pretend it's medicine. This is a recreational intoxicant like alcohol. It has dangers like alcohol. And and you know, ideally, nobody who's got any psychiatric conditions is going to go near this. But if you are going to go near it, try to make sure that you know what you're doing and that you know why you're doing it. You know, these parents are going to have an uphill battle with their children <laughs> yes, they are. because yes, of the narrative are. that they've grown up with. Because yes. it's seen as harmless. But I can harmless tell you and that medicine. just a, so an adult crazy. I know who uses marijuana recreationally, I can always tell. <laughs> and it, it drove him out of his mind because I wouldn't see him very often. But if I happened to see him on a day that he had used the night before, I could always tell. I said, you smoked and I, I would say weed, because I don't even know if we call it weed anymore. But I would say, you right. smoked weed last night. Because how did you know? And I said, because your affect is different. You're, you're moving slower. You're speaking more slowly. You know, you, you confuse the day. You thought today was Saturday, and it's actually Friday. So, I mean, I said, how is that serving you? Well, I, I like it. I said, well, you may like it, but does that serve you well? Did you go to work yesterday? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not actually joking because no, no, I noticed I, I, I this, and this you. is not a heavy user, not at no, all. Listen, um, if you're, look, and I don't people do things people, that aren't do people them, do things that aren't good for them, right? Serving you, right? Right. Like I don't but, think but, you know, we recognize our own patterns. So maybe mm-hmm. he didn't know until mm-hmm. I told him, but it. Uh, he probably hates me for that, but that's the way it goes. It is. It is. It is it's disturbing. But look, it's the look. It's the United States. Like we have casinos. You can go into a casino and right. find somebody who's lost their house to gambling. Yes. Okay. We that's we alcohol's legal. People alcohol choice. you know destroys people's lives. Some people. If there are people out there who are adults, think that you know I don't care if I cruise through life high 
and I, you know, I don't really work or I work at some crummy job that just pays the bills and I get up and I'm going to be stoned all day and I don't care if I get married. Like, this is the life that I want. That's not the life that I would choose. I don't, it sounds like it's not the life right. that you but would choose. But this is America. But, they have the but, right to but choose. But it's America. That, that's right. And so, and so I, what we need to do, I mean, we're not going to put those people in jail. I don't think we should do that under any scheme, under any legal scheme, I mean. What we need to do is make sure people know, especially people, especially teens and young adults, know what the real risks are here and stop pretending that this stuff is medicine. Well, and I think that's a key point. It is not medicine. It is being positioned as medicine, but we know that medicine must go through FDA testing, et cetera, and it has not gone through that. I used to be in clinical drug trials, so that's why I read your book with such interest because it was all based on – clinical trials and research and, and deep research. So if it's not a medicine and it causes these issues, then we, we have laws that protect uh, intoxicated drivers. Yes. But right now, the laws, uh, at least in several states I'm aware of, have not kept up with the intoxicants and the effects of driving while stoned. Yes, that's so. One of the one of the many problems around legalization is uh, with alcohol. Alcohol is a pretty simple substance, and you can and you can set a line really where you say, okay, if your blood alcohol content is over zero point one or zero point zero eight, by our standards, you are drunk. And you, mm-hmm. you if you're caught operating a vehicle, uh, you know you're you basically are, are going to get in trouble. It might be a lot of trouble. It might be a little trouble if it's your first time. But, but this is against the law. And you can't right. argue, oh, I'm a really good driver. And so even though my alcohol level is over the limit, I, it's okay for me. With cannabis, there are literally people out there who say there should be no standard left back for cannabis, that it affects different people differently. And so we're going to allow – I should be allowed to drive even with a really high level of THC in my blood. And unfortunately, we haven't figured out in, mo- in several of the states, there's no, there's no bright line. There's, there's no, no standard, yeah. There's no standard. And, and on top of that, you have this edible issue because, again, it's a different form. And on top of mm-hmm. that, you have the issue that it's much harder to test. You basically have to do a blood draw to get a really good reading and so and so we so there are people out there who think that who a who think that they're not going to get caught and b who think that this is actually safe that oh alcohol makes me speed and go all over the road but cannabis i just sit there and i'm very mellow and unfortunately the data on on drug driving from colorado which has done some pretty good uh studies Mm -hmm. on this show that speeding is actually quite common among people who are high so this idea that you just sit there and you're going huh. 10 miles an hour is not true. Um, and again, you, you can imagine reasons for that. If you're paranoid and you, you know, you, 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 feel, you want to get home, right? You want to, you want to get home quickly. So you might actually speed. And, and when you look at the, at the data on fatal accidents, there's, there's been a marked increase in fatal accidents where people have THC in their blood. So this idea, and I'm not encouraging. I would never, ever encourage anybody to drink and drive. And you know, and for teens who are, you know, who are sort of bad drivers mm-hmm. generally to begin with, alcohol is a terrible idea. But the idea that cannabis is better, once again, I'm not sure that the evidence actually shows that. 
You bring up the fatal accidents. That was one of the statistics in your book that shocked me. Why aren't these points, and we have two minutes left, being brought up in the literature, in the media? Um, these are these are facts. And this is not opinion. These are facts. So when people are saying, well, the laws aren't keeping up, they do have some data, as you said. Yes. But so, just because we so can't why, test I mean, for again, it, we, you know, it, the, fatal accidents, you can count those numbers. We circle – I've got to just circle all the way back to the, the media. You know, whether, when the Washington Post twice in the last couple of months runs articles by people saying marijuana makes me a better parent – I, or I smoked weed with my kid. When, when uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Washington—it's the—it's not the National Enquirer; it's the Washington no. Post, and they have been. I mean, the only—I—I I, I don't want to say in the tank, but like they're—they're they're in the tank for the cannabis industry. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's very strange to me. That, and I again, I'm not saying that anybody's taking money or anything like that. I just think that there's an ideology here that is dangerous, and and it extends way past the Washington Post. So, so, but but. But encouraging parents, the parents of young children, to use cannabis is is journalistic malpractice, as far as I'm concerned. It's shocking to me that someone would say to try something illegal in most states with their child. But I guess nothing yeah. should shock me I, anymore. You know what? I'm going to yeah, I'm going to go get high, and you know, because I can play with my three year old better. I, I hate to say this, but. If you look at the statistics around child fatalities, in, there are several states that do that do a very good job compiling those statistics: Texas, Florida, Arizona. They they show a very high level of cannabis use by the parents of these kids who who are dying, whether whether from uh, you know abuse or or neglect or just and, use. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Just by use of the drug. No, 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 no. The par- these, these are kids. Oh, the parents are abusing or neglecting the parents their children. are using, and the kids. And that's right. And Demotivation, so, perhaps. Well, I think, I think, yeah. I mean, I think if you're uh, if you're you know too stoned to get up, and your kid is you know your kid drowns in the backyard. I mean, oh, I mean, this God. is th- these are what the cases look like. But but all I'm saying is, and you can't always put a. There's not always a causal connection. But there no. is a very high – there's a lot of use. There's a very strong association, stronger than with alcohol, stronger than with other drugs. I just have to say, again, under those circumstances, I cannot believe that the Washington Post would encourage <laughs> the parents of young week. children to we'll use. Right back. That's what that – so – We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Even though you may not know that you're eating them, trans fats will soon be gone from the American diet. Fox News says that trans fats are created when hydrogen is added to vegetable oil to make it more solid, like shortening and margarine, which is why they are also called partially hydrogenated oils. It increases the shelf life of food and enhances flavor. Foods commonly containing trans fats are microwave popcorn, pie crusts, frozen pizza, biscuits, frosting, coffee creamers, and margarine. A diet that is rich in trans fats has been linked to memory loss, higher body weight, heart disease, and a greater rise in LDL or bad cholesterol in the blood, which leads to cardiovascular disease. 
and cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of death in the U.S. Trans fats are not good for human consumption, and the FDA has ruled that they need to be phased out in the next few years because they are a threat to public health. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Alex Berenson, author of Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence. And, you know, we have been talking about so many things that we are not being made aware of in the media. And I don't think that narrative is going to change. There's an entire hemp industry being built <laughs> around. Am I wrong? No, you're you're totally right. And by, you know, I mean, I've like, heard about oak I, barrels to make you know flavored alcohol, flavored gin, flavored vodka, um, all, all kinds of things. Uh, in addition to, I don't know, there's an IPO being um, formulated right now by some famous people. And I mean, sure. I think that this is huge, big business, and that's probably why the narrative is not getting out. Because well, I think people are ignoring the fact that these are children using it or teenagers using it. I think they're assuming these are grown adults making personal, individual choices. Does that make sense? Well, I, I mean, I think that's part of it. I think also there's confusion around THC and CBD. So CBD mm-hmm. is something you're, a lot of your listeners may have heard of, and some of them may have used. CBD is the non-intoxicating compound in cannabis, right. the main non-intoxicating compound. So you can go into drugstores all over this country, even in, even in states where THC is not states. legal. That's right. And you can buy, uh, in, mo- in a lot of places, you can buy you know tinctures of CBD, which theoretically might help your digestion or help your dog's arthritis. There's a lot of claims being made around CBD that are probably, I mean, they, they substantially overstate the medical value of CBD, but CBD does have some benefits, and it actually has been shown to help childhood epilepsy, which I think is great. And, uh, you know, the fact that there's a prescription drug out there that's CBD-based for kids with epilepsy is a, is, a, mm-hmm. is a great development, but that has nothing to do with CBD. I'm sorry, with THC, which is what people are using to get high, except that the cannabis lobby has deliberately tried to confuse people about this. Uh, I mean, I think mm-hmm. in some cases it's deliberate, in some cases they're just letting people get confused. So you, so you hear stories saying, saying CBD is great, thus cannabis is great, thus we should legalize marijuana, and that's got nothing to do with why people are using it. So that's a, big, that's a big reason the narrative has gotten so messed up. Um, another amazing thing. Well, you know, there's thing, another piece. I, I want to add something to that CBD. Sure. Um, after I read your book, I looked up CBD oil, etc. And CBD oil is not, or tinctures are not always THC free. They free, that's say right. low discernible amounts or non-discernible yeah. amounts, meaning I suppose that you can pass a drug test. Is that what that means? Uh, you know, I think that's what that language means. There's actually quite a bit of evidence that a lot of those tinctures have more than minimal amounts of THC, which is something I don't even want to go into, but mm-hmm. because, I, you know, there's so many other big issues here. But sure. to the extent people feel good after they use a CBD tincture, they're probably getting a mild high from whatever THC is in there. Um, and if they're having psychiatric effect, problems, it's probably because of the THC. Strong. Um, I mean, placebo yeah. effect is real. So if someone oh, yeah. is it's, told that this will help real. them, okay, yeah. then they say this is what has helped me when, when it's a placebo effect. Which, there's nothing wrong yeah. with a placebo effect. Just you need to be aware that maybe this medical tincture is not no, quite no. what you thought it was. 
That's right. I totally agree with that. And if, and if, if you want to spend 40 bucks to buy yourself a little tincture of CBD and you think it makes you feel better, well, you know, God bless you, basically. It's, that's fine. Isn't it used for sleep? That's what I see it advertised most for. Sleep, anxiety. It's used for all kinds of things. I mean, you can literally find uh, it marketed for almost every medical condition. There's a really important point that I do want to talk to uh, you and your listeners about because I think it's very important for teens. So we know we're in a terrible opioid epidemic in the United States. Correct. And another another way that – and, you know, it's it's all over and it's white and it's black and it's middle class and it's poor and it's rich. It's, it, they, there are parents it who lost no children right. to this everywhere. It knows no boundaries. And there are people out there claiming that cannabis is a solution to the opioid epidemic. And to me, this is a this is another great lie. It's another great myth. There is almost there's practically no evidence that cannabis is anything but bad for the opioid epidemic. First of all, there's a lot of evidence that shows that if you use cannabis, you're much more likely to use hard drugs later. Okay. Okay. So you're confusing the marijuana is not a gateway drug. uh, Well, marijuana is unquestionably a gateway drug, but there are arguments as to why, but there is no argument that most people who use hard drugs use marijuana first. First. Okay. And there are some people out there who say that well, that's because people are risk takers who are, you know, who use hard drugs are risk takers by nature, and it's easier to get cannabis when you're 13 than it is to get cocaine or heroin. So that people just start with cannabis, and there may be some truth in that. It's mm-hmm. also possible that getting high primes your brain to want to get high with high other again. things, right. or more high, or more high. That's right. And there's evidence from preclinical studies that cannabis actually sensitizes your brain to the effect of opioids. And there's evidence, again, when you look at individuals, and this is the best way to check this. If you look at individuals and you say, are you using cannabis? And then you come back to them years later and say, are you using opioids? The people who said yes to cannabis are much more likely to be using opioids years later. Uh, There's a very good paper that's gotten almost no attention in the last few years uh, that came out in 2017 on this very issue. And yet, and let's look at one other big, big point on this. The two countries that have the worst opioid epidemic in the West, I mean, you know, of like countries in Europe and North America, U.S. and Canada, we have tremendous opioid epidemics. Guess which two countries have the most cannabis use and the most liberal attitude toward cannabis, the U.S. and Canada. So if this is somehow a solution that's right. In Canada, it's fully legal now. If this mm-hmm. is somehow a solution to the opioid crisis, how come the U.S. and Canada are having tens of thousands of opioid overdose deaths every year? I, I just think I think that parents who think, you know what, it's good my kid is using cannabis because maybe they won't use opioids, that is completely wrong. Don't think that. Don't be fooled. This is this is dangerous. And you know, we, so so the book is called Tell Your Children, right? And the reason it's called Tell Your Children in part is because I knew there was going to be tremendous pushback from a cannabis lobby on the book. And so mm-hmm. Tell Your Children is the original title of the movie Reefer Madness. So I figured, you know what? I know what you guys are going to say about me. I'm going to lean into it. But the right. other reason the book is called Tell Your Children is I do want mothers and fathers to be able to talk to their kids with knowledge, with science, and say, mm-hmm. you know what? This isn't just me being uncool mom and saying, oh, this stuff is bad for you. 
this guy who is a former New York Times reporter wrote a massive, you know, wrote a, wrote a book right. about this that draws on 60 or, you know, 60 scientific studies. I'm telling you the truth. Be careful with this. Well, I think that parents have to know first, which is why I so yeah. wanted you to come on this program, because I think it's really vital that unless you know both sides of the story, we're not here to alarm people. We're here to inform. No, I, I, I want people to be a little bit alarmed. People okay, say, you alarm, the book I'll is inform. A, yes, and we'll you, you inform, I'll and, alarm. And, Right. You, you did alarming want, because you did all the research. But I think that I was so surprised when I read the book because I, I just have only been seeing it's harmless. It's nowhere. It's better, better than alcohol is what right. most parents will right. say. Right. It's better. Right. It's, it's, and you know who knows the, the difference? The psychiatrists know the difference. The ER doctors know the difference. But the people who know the difference the best are the parents who've lost kids to schizophrenia or to drug ODs who started with cannabis. They know. And, you know, it's too late for them, unfortunately. And some of those parents are now going to start talking about this because I've heard from enough of them to know. Good. Good. That's your next book. I have just an oddball question. Are there birth defects? So that's the line, a, that's a know, really, are there any teratogenic effects eventually? You know, that's that's a really good question. There, there's not super strong evidence on that. Uh, there's some limited evidence, uh, you know, and there's some limited evidence that actually both CBD and THC can cause sort of uh, DNA level defects, uh, you know, or you know, or can cause damage to DNA. But I wouldn't say it's very strong. I'd say it's. Okay. Uh, yeah, the the evidence on birth defects is uh, inconclusive. Well, because that's a good motivator for kids yes. who are not paying attention. Because we do know that some of the harder drugs do have the that effect eventually. Yeah. Um, Alex, what else have we? Um, I want to make sure that we talk about anything that is important for moms and teenagers to discuss and to know, and and also to realize that. Schizophrenia is growing in this country, and again, it comes usually in the early 20s, and not everybody who smokes marijuana is going to end up with schizophrenia. No, Um, absolutely not. Not at all, but Um, if you have a propensity toward it, talk about that. that, So, okay, this is sort of a good note to end on, I think. Um, So there are people who are higher risk for schizophrenia genetically. We know we know that about half the risk comes from genetic and prenatal factors, and we know that schizophrenia can run in families. I, you know, I just right. anecdotally, right? There are families where, the, the, where there's a lot of mental illness, and, um, and you know it, that that risk has been quantified by scientists. So what I would say is, if you if your family has a history, you know, if 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 your if if your if your brother has a as a you know, is bipolar or severely bipolar, or has schizophrenia, or if a cousin has you know has a has a severe mental illness, you should know that your child is at higher risk, and you should really discourage them from using, because what it looks like is if you're really psychiatrically healthy, probably marijuana is not going to put you into mental illness. But there's a group of people who are sort of on the brink, who might not develop schizophrenia. And marijuana, those are the people who get pushed over the edge. And so those are the, you know, but we don't know who those people are. But we no, know and there's no test that, for it either. Then there's no test. But what we know is that if you're at higher risk genetically, this is particularly dangerous for you. The other thing we know 
is that if you've had a bad experience, if you've had an experience that's bad enough to send you to the hospital, mm-hmm. you, are, you are at high risk in the coming years to convert to full schizophrenia. And so I would say if your kid winds up getting weird on cannabis, especially if, they're, if, you know, if something happens that's bad enough that they have to go to the hospital, you really have to step in and say, please, please don't use this anymore. Um, you know, even like, not that I want you to use anything else, but don't use this. Well, I think you make an excellent point because we know that alcoholism runs in families. Mental illness yep. absolutely runs in families. And so that may be a good way to position a conversation with your child. Yes. Um, uh, and I mean, which is not to say that if you don't have a family instrumental illness, it's great to go ahead and use. But we should know who's at, <laughs> who's at higher risk. <laughs> Well, um, Linda, this has been great. Right. Absolutely. You know, Alex, I can't thank you enough for sharing this information with us. I think we've been lulled into a complacency that is not real. But this is a good way for people to do their research and to understand more. And it's a very readable book, I will tell you that. Again, the title is Tell Your Children the truth about marijuana, mental illness, and violence. And I hope today that we have been able to impart some thoughts, some provoking thoughts on how to talk to your children, what to look for, and why it's important that you do talk to your children. We have 30 seconds left. Alex, what would you like to add? Uh, just that, you know, I, I, I've been surprised that the cannabis lobby hasn't been more willing to be honest about this because I, I, whether or not this drug is legal, kids are going to use some kids. And so we need to talk about what we're going to tell them. And to me, this is a conversation about health and science. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, and your research on this issue. Look up this book. You don't want to miss this. It's important. Thank you so much. We'll talk next week. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for that. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.